Did you know that men tend to apply for leadership positions at a higher rate than women? If you already know this, you probably already know that men will apply to positions even if they perceive to have about 60 to 70% of the qualifications, they will try anyways, whereas us women feel the need to apply only when we feel we have about 90 to 100% of the posters, qualifications, or requirements. Why is this? Well, we know that bias and gender gaps is definitely a thing in leadership. It's still very much a present issue with respect to women in leadership positions. But if you yourself are a leader or you're wanting to become a leader as a woman, I think this week's content is going to be for you. And the reason for that is because there are several things that I learned along the way that helped me become a better leader, but more importantly, allowed me to broaden my expertise into the executive cadre over time that I think might help you. Welcome back to this week's episode of On the Level Leadership. My name is Tammy and I'm a leadership and career growth coach. I'm here to help you be the best leader you can be so that you can grow in your career. So my story, for those who don't know me, um, I pretty much was raised in the 80s. I was raised during a time when women were not seen as leaders necessarily. It was still kind of an, a new concept for women to be in leadership positions. And we were often given messages around what we could or couldn't do because of our gender. You know, because of that sort of sad reality of growing up in that environment, it meant that I, as a woman, faced greater scrutiny when I would assume leadership positions. It also meant that it was harder for me to establish trust in my leadership and that the bar was higher in terms of my performance overall. I mean, that's just a fact. I, I hate to admit it, but that is just a fact that us women often have to uh, deal with when we're trying to grow in our careers. For example, uh, not that long ago in 2010, while I was competing for an executive position with the Public Health Agency of Canada, I was actually asked by one of the exec directors at the table who was male, how I planned on managing the executive role given that I had young children. And I'm fairly certain that if I was male, or uh, perceived as a male person, that I would not have been asked that question. The only sole reason I was asked that question by this male counterpart was because I am a mother. And the um, bias in his head at the time was that as a mother, it would be very difficult for me to uh, manage being a mother and being an executive at the same time. So while we tend to blame our male counterparts for that bias, the reality is, is us women tend to be really hard on ourselves and we try to do all things to all people. And what ends up happening is that we then provide the confirmation bias, i.e. we confirm to those who have that bias that we are incapable of doing the job or being an executive that has the ability to perform or perform as well as their male counterparts. And I'm going to explain this. When I was growing in my leadership over my career, what I found was there were certain things that I did or didn't do that I had to shift or change or slightly tweak in order for me to be considered leadership material. Now, if you're a woman and you're watching this, you're probably thinking, okay, exactly what do I have to do to be seen as a leader in my organization? So this is not a cut and dry thing and it's certainly not black or white. There's a lot of gray here and it really is dependent on the organization you work for, the leadership that you work for, the culture that you're working within, et cetera. And even the domain, I would say, even though there are domains that are starting to really grow and trying to minimize that gender gap, the reality is, is there are 
domains like engineering, computer science, for example, and even medicine for a while there that was fairly male dominated. And so there's still some, some work to be done in those domains. However, there are very positive things that are happening. And it's because women like me are stepping up and presenting themselves in a way that is more executive like in their presence. You can do so as well. So here are five things that I did to help me out as I grew as a leader that may help you as well. The first is to learn how to exercise courage and assertiveness. And assertiveness is not aggression. I want to be very, 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 very clear about this. <laughs> is that when I was growing up in the 80s, I was often told that I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't capable enough, that women were not great at math, that we couldn't be doctors, that we couldn't be engineers. I was actually told that by teachers. And so I grew a huge chip on my shoulder, a very defensive posture so that anytime anybody questioned my leadership or questioned my capacity or my competency, that chip on my shoulder would show up and I would get very aggressive and push back in a very tough way. The reality is, is that made me very unapproachable and it actually made me less capable and less desirable as an executive because I was lacking that professional executive presence. So one of the things I had to learn very early on in my career and unfortunately didn't learn it until like the last five years of my executive life was how to embrace my position and assert my vision without doing it in an aggressive manner. This was really key. So it was the ability to listen to concerns, to listen to challenges, to be challenged as a leader, but to not take it personally. I had to learn to not take things personally. Now, I don't know if this is just a female trait because honestly, great leadership is genderless, right? There is no gender to great leadership. Women, men can be poor leaders. Women, men can be great leaders. However, one thing I had to learn really early on was to not personalize or take personally comments or critiques on the leadership because oftentimes they weren't personal. Oftentimes it wasn't about me specifically. It was about the vision or it was about the direction or it was about the strategy or it was about the organizational culture. It was not about me directly. So I had to learn very early on to not personalize things that were coming towards me by my staff or by my team or by my colleagues. Another thing I had to do was deal with problems with adversity, for example, or challenging conversations early on. So if I noticed something was happening in my team or there was an issue that was popping up, I had to learn to lean into my leadership and really manage those issues right away and to not let them fester. I don't know how you are as a woman, but for me, I was taught that we had to be perfect and we had to be quiet and we had to be, you know, just so. And what happens when we do that is we tend to put things under the rug or we tend to ignore things or we let things slide because we want to keep the peace. The reality is, as a leader, is when you notice something that's affecting team dynamic or it's affecting performance, or maybe it's just clear bias and clear inappropriate behavior, you need to deal with that instantaneously, like as soon as you realize it's happening. And that takes courage because it means you have to step outside your comfort zone and really be brave in the face of adversity. Super important that you learn to do this. And it means, it means that you are then becoming more decisive and you're not second guessing your decisions. Something that I find women often do is they are anxious about how others perceive them and therefore will be less decisive or wishy-washy in their decision-making. And I feel like we need to even more so if we want to be seen and trusted as trustworthy and decisive leaders, we need to not only be comfortable making decisions, but we need to be comfortable moving on from those decisions and not actually second guessing them. If the, if the decision was a mistake, so be it. Learn from the mistake and course correct, 
like any other male counterpart would do, right? You just kind of wash it off and you just keep going. You don't take it personally. You don't get upset about it. You don't stew on it for days. You just kind of deal with the issue and then move on. So what does that mean? It means that if you're going to exercise courage and assertiveness, you need to have a voice. It means that you need to learn to speak up when you have something to say. I've been to meetings regularly where the men are talking and giving opinions and the women are sitting there quiet and not providing an opinion. And it frustrates the hell out of me because if you have an opinion, you provide it. So again, when you're exercising courage and assertiveness, you're basically embracing your position, you're asserting your vision, you're listening to concerns, you're not taking things personally, you're dealing with problems head on when they show up, you are speaking your voice, you are providing your intentions and clearly articulating your opinions about things and you're decisive without second guessing. Okay. That's just the first part. The second thing is setting boundaries and sticking to them. Now, um, this can be really difficult (laughs) for anybody, frankly, but I have noticed that women in particular struggle with this. We struggle with boundary setting because we worry that if we set boundaries, we will be career limited because we're already challenged, right, in being in the gender of female that um, we're, we're challenged. Now, I don't even want to go with the LGBTQ non-gender identifiable groups. They are struggling even further than women who identify as female. However, I'm just, for the purposes of today's content, we're going to go with genders who identify as female. However, I do recognize that there are challenges, additional challenges for those who belong to the LGBTQ plus community. I just want to say that out loud because that's really important and we recognize that. However, it is important that you set your boundaries and that you stick to them because if you're not clear about what those boundaries are, people are going to step all over you. And then you're going to look like a weak leader because you are not setting the tone for how you want to be treated on how the team is to behave, on what the vision for the organization is. You're not clear on the steps and action steps you're expecting people to take, on course corrective measures that need to happen, on what risk management strategies you're taking. If you're not clear about those things, people will not trust you as a leader. So you need to be clear with a compassionate tone on what you're willing to tolerate, what you're not willing to tolerate, how you want to be treated, how you don't want to be treated. Story time. So when I led the national stockpile and I was the first senior manager to lead that organization in its 55 year history, I was leading a group of about 20 or so men, uh, entirely men, blue collar warehousing type environment with some procurement officers that were professional procurement officers. And essentially I was dealing with a lot of misogyny and some bias in that organization. So very, very much from the very beginning, I was very clear on how I expected to be spoken to the words I would not accept things I didn't, uh, would, would not tolerate, et cetera, and was faced with bias pretty routinely and had to nip that in the bud as I went along the way. But I did it with a compassionate tone. I wasn't mean about it. I wasn't rude about it. I didn't report everybody to HR right off the bat. I didn't put complaints forward. I just had conversation with people. So I set the boundaries and we had conversations about how we are going to stick to those boundaries over time. And when I saw a problem, I would immediately address it. Again, it's that courage piece, right? It's just addressing the issues. If somebody says something that is clearly a bias or clearly sexist, then you call it out. And I did on a regular basis. And you know what? Eventually it did resolve and reduce because they saw what they could get away with, what they couldn't get away with. And it was very clear to them. 
Boundaries are not just for staff, by the way, they're also for your leadership. So this requires the ability to discern and set boundaries with that leadership that makes sense to you and your organization. So clearly, if you've signed a letter of offer that says that you're available 24-7, you're probably on the hook for that. However, if your letter of offer or your uh, agreement does not articulate that and you want family time, it is really important that you set boundaries or negotiate those boundaries with your senior leadership because it's really important that you be clear about what you're willing to do or not do during business hours and after business hours. Now, people will say, well, that's really tough, Tammy, because you can get yourself fired if you do that. Maybe, but I think do an assessment of um, you know, your situation and, and do what feels right for you. But my, my encouragement is, as women, it's really important that we set boundaries. And I want to say that the boundaries are not just for your work staff and work life. Your boundaries are also for your personal life, which I'm going to deal with in another area, which is you need to lose the, the notion that you need to be all things to all people and seek help. So this is, this is a great way to segue into that. There's a lie out there that tells you that you can do all things and be all things and you can have everything you want. It's a lie. The reality is, is you can have it all, but not all at once. You can only have parts of it at a time. So what I had to do very early on is I had to learn how to delegate home activities and understand and accept that they're not always going to be done the way I want them done. Now, did that make me happy all the time? No, there were times when I got completely upset and pissed off about something that didn't go the way I wanted it to at home. However, it, we are raised as women to do everything perfectly and to be everything to all people. And the reality is, is you got to let that shit go. Because if you want to succeed in your career, you're going to have to find a balance. And it means letting go of some of those home responsibilities. It means delegating to your husband, your wife, your partner, the child activities at certain times of the day. It's going to be negotiating children's activities and who drives who, where, when, and why. It means limiting the amount of activities your kids have perhaps. And just like in our kids, we had three kids. There was no way we were doing hockey and baseball and soccer and all these things and trying to grow careers and trying to have a normal family life. It wasn't going to happen. So you need to look at where you can get help for do you need to get a housekeeper, for example? Do you need babysitting help? Do you need your mother-in-law to come in a day or two a week to help out with something so that you can be the career person you want to be and, you know, seek the help that you need and do it and try to not be all things to all people all the time, because you know what? That's how burnout happens when you're trying to be the, you know, doing all the mothering things and all of the homework things and all of the school things. And then you're doing all of the work things and all the executive things. And you find yourself exhausted and ragged because you're doing stuff 18 and 19 hours a day, right? Literally, you get maybe four to six hours of sleep and you start all over again. It's nonsense. So do not think you have to be all things to all people. You need to let that shit go and make sure that whatever activities you do, and however you organize your life, that it aligns with your personal values. And if your workplace that you're at is expecting you to be 24-7 on call and at the beck and call of somebody, and that doesn't align with your values, I would encourage you to look for an opportunity elsewhere that allows you to be more in alignment with who you are as a person. And I'm not just talking about women here. I'm talking about men too. There are a lot of men out there who want to be great leaders, but also want to be great fathers. And they cannot do both sometimes. So, you know, finding that balance it's not easy, but it's necessary if you want to feel more resolve in the in the life that you're living and that you have more balance overall, because otherwise it's just going to get out of control. So if you want to be a great leader, you need to learn to delegate, not just at work, but at home as well.
The other thing I always tell women uh, when I talk to them, when I'm either counseling them or mentoring them or coaching them is that you need to be the divine you that you are and not to try to be anybody else. One thing that we often do, and I've seen this in my career, I've seen it in medicine and I've seen it in my public service career, was that women often fall into kind of two categories. They either are too aggressive and too assertive and trying to be a man in a man's world when they're not a man. Or they go the complete opposite where they stay quiet, they have no voice, and they're afraid to really lean into their leadership. There is an in-between space, and that's a space that I kind of fell into um, over time. Well, I didn't fall into it, but I grew into, was learning how to take the perspectives that men appreciate, you know, decisiveness and communication skills and learning how to evaluate and have a strategy and be able to vocalize and communicate a vision and having executive presence and confidence in my leadership. The stuff that the men tend to do really well, generally speaking, from a perception perspective, if I were to generalize, I learned how to take those pieces of the masculine leadership qualities and apply it to my leadership skills. But I also kept my feminine side of me, the empathetic and compassionate side of me, so that when someone would speak to me, I wasn't aggressive in tone, I wasn't demeaning in tone, I would listen and hear them out, give them space to say what they have to say, and then you know, recognize and honor what they're feeling, their anxiety, their frustration, their anger, whatever emotion they're feeling at the time, and then being willing to, in a grounded way, have a decent dialogue and conversation with that individual about how we're going to problem solve. So I had to learn to adapt my style. When I was talking to a very emotional woman, for example, and I've had staff who, if I had a really poor performance review with them, would start crying, I would allow them to emote. And when they were done emoting, I said, okay, so what are we going to do about this now? And we would have a problem solving tactic or conversation. The same applied with men. If men were uh, maybe offended or assaulted by, by what I was saying, and maybe they were angry, I would say, okay, I get you're angry, but we need to problem solve this. So how are we going to fix this? Because men want to fix things. So I would sort of change the language so that it would adapt to how they would understand me. So you need to be you, right? And not be anybody else. That's important. But you need to balance that emotion and, com and compassion and empathy with strong leadership competencies like decisiveness and decision-making and planning and problem-solving. All of those other things have to be kind of meshed in between. So if you can figure out how to do that, you're going to be super successful as a leader because I found that the team that I had at the stockpile over time really learned to appreciate my style. And they appreciated the authenticity that I was bringing to the table and I would share my vulnerability. They would be able to share theirs. And it was a safe space for us to have a dialogue. But there was no crying at the table. There was no, you know, emoting in that way. But we were still able to share and express our, our feelings at the table in a way that was professional. And then we'd be able to find ways and plan strategies on how to overcome these things. And I think that really helped us move forward as a team and to really gel together as an organization. The last thing I'm going to say is as a woman, especially if you're in a career that is primarily male oriented, it may be hard to find mentors, coaches, or friends who are at the same level or maybe just beyond your level who can help you or provide a guidepost or a sounding board along the way during your career. For me, as I grew as a leader, it was really imperative that I connect with others who were like-minded or who were like me, but maybe a few steps ahead so that I could 
not only just connect with them, but learn from them, have a sounding board, run ideas past them. If I was struggling with a challenge, maybe getting advice from them on how to manage something. So finding a mentor in your organization is really great. If you can't find one in your organization, then I would suggest try finding a mentor through other organizations. There's social media, you know, Facebook groups, for example, there's a ton of groups for emerging leaders or, you know, engineers or groups of women, for example. So you can go to those organizations and kind of seek more of an informal mentorship, if you will, through those organizations, or you can actually get a coach, which is something that I do for a living and have that coach work with you through mindset issues or through the challenges you're having as a leader around your confidence levels or around your ability to find a voice and really kind of teasing out why you still feel that way and how you can learn to overcome them and work with the coach to kind of push you past your boundaries of comfort so that you can grow in your career and become a more trusted, stronger leader. If your organization has a mentorship program, by all means, apply to it right? Find a way to connect with your tribe. Your tribe are other women just like you who've gone through it maybe before you and have learned things. I mean, if you can learn from other women, why not? The other piece of this is if you yourself have grown, you've learned, you've maybe gone through some challenges that were difficult, but you somehow managed to navigate your way through them, become a mentor yourself. Offer yourself as an, a person who can help someone else so that we can all as women benefit each other. Because ultimately, when we help each other out, not only are we helping the gender, but we're helping society as a whole. Because as organizations become more and more blended with both male and female energies, what we're finding is that these organizations are thriving. And the reason why they're thriving is because you have different perspectives, different thought processes, different ways of doing things coming to the table. And more of that means more innovation. It means, you know, the ability to succeed in a greater way. So you want to encourage this. If you yourself can become a mentor, I would encourage it. I know that I'm doing that. I have a meeting with somebody tomorrow who I'm hoping to mentor as well. And I just want to be out there helping other people. So if you yourself can do it, then by all means do it. And if you need it, look around, find your tribe and connect with those people who can help you along the way. So thanks again for being here this week. I do appreciate you taking the time. I am all about trying to help you be the best leader you can be so you can grow in your career. And these five tidbits really helped me grow so that I eventually landed an executive role within the public service. And I want you to be able to do the same. So if you want to build your executive presence or if you're lacking confidence and you want some help, you know, you can either DM me or alternatively subscribe to this channel, follow this podcast because I am here every single week sharing this kind of content with you. Again, thanks for being here. I do appreciate the time you took. Until next week, stay safe, folks.